Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Literally Gaysian. Literally Gaysian. Welcome to Literally Gaysians, a podcast where two gay Asian guys, a.k.a. Gaysians, get real about their feelings and literally Gaysian stuff. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your co-host, Bao. And it's just you and me again today, Chris. Yeah, just us. I don't know. We, we, we want to have a little time for just us and not always a guest. We're not always going to be in that threesome. You know, threesomes after a bad experience, you just want to go back to the basics. And that's what we're doing, going back to the basics. And we actually haven't talked live since uh, our last recording, which was probably a month ago. Yeah, and you've been away. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm back. Um, but how are you? What, what's been up with you? Oh, Lordy. Uh, so much has happened since the last time we've talked. I'm going to have to move. I'm going to have to, I'm like... You know, looking for a new job. Everything's going on. And been traveling. I got COVID again last week. <laughs> I think I, and I rebounded. Uh, so I'm trying to like fight off any long COVID. Yeah, it's just been busy and kind of was cooped up all week. So it was uh, got cabin fever. So I'm happy to, I even went to the office. So it kind of felt nice for once to get out of the house. Do you have any symptoms? That's where I've been at. Uh, Hardly any. It's just like a light cough, uh, but I was pretty asymptomatic. So I just tested just in case uh, before going out, and I was like, oh, two pink lines. There we go. What about you? What have you been doing now that you're back? Yeah, I got back last week, um, seven days ago, and um, I don't know. I'm just, I guess, transitioning back to life in the U.S. I mean, it's... I don't think it's been, I don't think I've ever spent, oh yeah, I have spent that much time in Asia before when I used to work in Asia, but like just spending that much time without working in Asia and living with my mom. So coming, leaving, she was so sad. We were crying Mm -hmm. at the airport, but coming back here, um, I feel a little bit of a pressure to kind of like think about what's next in my life again. Um, 
And the new idea, the new like shiny idea I'm romanticizing is like maybe living in Asia or working in Asia, which sounds overwhelmingly scary, um, but also exciting at the same time. But um, did no research. I'm just basing this off of this romanticized version of I have of my a feeling, uh, a feeling I have I love of like that, what my life though. could be like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a passion. Yeah, to make a change, you kind of have to romanticize the change a little bit. But um, once I start kind of doing some research, then I get kind of a little bit overwhelmed. So I'm just going to take it easy. Mm, that's nice. Uh, but And weren't you also in Hawaii? I was. It was really nice to see my friends in Hawaii. Hawaii. But it rained the whole time, so we didn't do much of these <laughs> any other things we did. So we partied a bunch and went to my friend Lance Dances, or a.k.a. Drag name Molly Cocktails, drag show at Atlas. And Atlas is like this new club slash bar that just opened up. And it was like kind of super fun. And then, you know how like I was talking about these warehouse parties that happen in LA? Um, the Like, you know how I went to Pegasus? There's just mm-hmm. there's a similar party that's little, that's queer friendly in Hawaii. In Hawaii? Um, Who knew? Yeah, wow. it was like warehousey. The music was kind of the same. And I think I read somewhere that like the younger gay crowd, like, prefers these types of like roving parties um, that kind of move around from venue to venue. Um, was it a lot of um, visitors or like locals? Locals. Oh, that's, that's better. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so nice. Like secret location. So I was like wondering, cause I, you know, I don't know if like SF has one of those, but I was surprised to see it in Hawaii, but I had an amazing time there. We haven't caught up in a while. So let's dig a little, dig a little deeper into our favorite segment, Chris. Um, which is the be real segment. It's time to be real. Part of every episode where we get a little, just a little bit deeper about how we're really feeling about things. So um, let's be real. What's on your Gaijin heart, your Gaijin mind, Gaijin balls? Uh, I guess I touched on it at first. And I guess the theme of it was like, so I'm moving and it's, I'm having this sense of insecurity like housing insecurity, financial insecurity. And I talked about it with my with my therapist. And that's what we kind of came down to why I feel so anxious lately, not feeling like I have like a stable place to live in. You know, San Francisco's prices started going back up. And is that what happened the, to you? Yeah, For the evil, housing. evil corporate housing that's not rent controlled tried to hike it up another couple of hundred dollars. And, you know, I was really upset at first, but when I think about how shitty they've been and how when you came over that they harassed us um, when we were first recording this, that we were, they harassed us and you paid them to let us through. I'm like, this is not a home. Oh, the lobby. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm uh, psyching myself up to be more excited for this move. And I'm hoping to like have a sense of home again. And that's how I'm like, that's where I'm feeling. I'm because I'm trying to put this like shitty feeling that I've had for the last few months about the lease ending and hoping that I can just go into this new rent controlled place in San Francisco. It's that San Francisco living. Did you find a place yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving just a oh, few rent control. And nice. rent controlled, it'll be a little bigger, not that much cheaper, but I can have you over and not have to deal with like some crazy security people. Yeah. Wow. I'm well, first I'm surprised that you're able to find a new rent controlled apartment in 2023 in San Francisco. Those are really hard to come by. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and second, that you were able to find a place so fast because I remember how freaking long it took you to find the place that you're sitting in right now that you're leaving. I know. And it, and it all happened so quickly. The I tried to ask for a rent reduction because everyone's being fired in San Francisco. Like, Ton, tens of thousands of people have been laid off in just the past month. I don't know what they're thinking. They're 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 trying to raise all their prices. So um, I have a lot of competition, but people mm. didn't want to move to this place, according to the um, owners, because it's in the tenderloin, which it's not mm. really, and it's people consider it a sketchy area. But I grew up like in my teens and twenties, going there all the time. So I don't think it'll be a big change for me it'll be kind of going back home yeah well let's just hope it's not haunted then if no, no i'll make <laughs> best friends with them it'll be mm. great <laughs> i know when i just came back from asia my mom and all my family they just talk about ghosts so freely because you know asia is just very different and my parents are uh, my, my family's buddhist mm-hmm. and so my mom was telling me like oh you know what i bought that that house that i bought and moved out of the apartment that i lived in when i first moved to vietnam right i'm like no she tells me this ghost story. It's like, oh, yeah, one night I was sleeping at 2 a.m. And then, like, suddenly all the lights turned on. I heard a knocking on my door. And that I felt like there was a child who, like, pulled my bed sheets from my bed. Oh and my then after that, I looked around the apartment building. And I realized there were all these, like, signs, like, things that they were putting that she recognized as, like, what Vietnamese people do to, like, shy away the ghosts. Um, but she did tell me ghosts can never really, like, do anything to you. Um, yeah, they just kind of exist. So um, I'm so happy for your rent control department, but I hope you don't have ghosts. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not like religious or anything, but I do get a little superstitious. But the way I think about it is that somebody through all of this time has died in all of these buildings. So there's plenty of ghosts. And just like you said, they're not here to bother me. They're just chilling, hanging around, watching me jerk off. And it's great. Good shit. Good for them. Good for them. They're like, bitch again? It's Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Get ready. Three more hours later. <laughs> yeah. You had one 15-minute break. And this is how you chose to use it. And nothing else got done. Yeah, they're just sitting there judging. I would be a judgy joke. A judgy ghost, too. Yeah. It's in our, it's in our genes. <laughs> and Bao, what about you? Well, let's let's time for you to be real. All right, so I am feeling kind of honestly uncomfortable and like pretty serious. I'm just I don't know, maybe like thinking more broadly about my role as like a son and just our role as like a good son, like what the good son is. And that's because I think my dad is guilt tripping me a lot. <laughs> I, I'm understanding what he's going through. Last week, um, so he has two best friends, and my dad is also 77. One best friend died during the pandemic, and that was kind of like a big kind of moment for both of us because I was close to that friend. His other friend, which I'm not as close to, died like two weeks ago. Um, And then last week, my dad celebrated his 77th birthday, but the morning of that birthday had to go to like his best friend's funeral. And so we, me and my sister took him out to dinner, and he had just had this like, you can tell like death was on his mind. And then he broke broke it to us that he has kind of like, a, a health scare that could be cancer. It was just a lot to take in and on my like second day back in California. He had just kept making all these comments like, thanks for coming this birthday. Who knows? It could be my last. And just like, oh. at, like dropping like guilt trippy things like that, it, which makes me just kind of feel guilty because I just told you like, I kind of want to move to Asia. This kind of makes me think about that 
very differently. I felt like I had like six months ago made this big decision to really like focus on me, but then maybe I won't get the chance to do that in the next few months. Um, and I feel really selfish for being disappointed about that. Like I wish, I, I feel as in my head, like the ideal good son would be like, I don't care about any of that. This is all for you, dad. I'm going to be the caretaker. I'll move in with you. Um, granted, nothing, nothing has really happened yet, but I just felt like disappointed in myself for being, for feeling, for not being selfless enough. So if I'm being real, that's just, I'm just really uncomfortable and dis, I guess disappointed in myself for really having these, these emotions that I'm kind of working through. Oh, that's like a rough way to come back after spending so much time away in like this sort of grand getaway and you were with your mom and then to come back to have it kind of just kind of take a turn. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, so I think this segues really well into what we want to talk about today and we'll get real about today, which is our parents. Uh, parents. Our it's, parents. It's, 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 it's almost like a trope for like Asian and to be bicultural and have like issues to deal with their parents, especially us at roughly our ages to deal mm-hmm. with aging parents. It's such a trope of any Asian podcast. Like, There's so much stuff about parents. Of course, it's the favorite trope for gay podcasts, you know, parents and a relationship with them. So as a Gaysian podcast, I feel like this is a perfect time to visit this topic, but maybe from the lens of our not only generation, but um, just that cultural lens that, that, we, that we have on our parents. Look, I think we're both, let's do a quick privilege check. I think we're really both lucky to have and still have both parents in our lives and to have both parents who have been there in our lives since the beginning. So I want to like call out that privilege. But what I really want to talk about um, and what we really want to get into here is just like maybe the changing nature of how our relationships to our parents are now that we're at this age and they're aging. I, I think what's helpful sometimes is that even though we all know the topic, hearing someone else talk about their version of it and how they're going mm-hmm. through it, um, I find helpful. Because hearing sometimes about you, like I feel like I got a lot to say after you just said that. Um, <laughs> it, it's just, it, it brings up ways that to rethink how I think about my parents. Okay, let me just get into it. If that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and we're gonna we're gonna set the scene and just really describe our parents really quickly. So, Chris, go go first. Um, so, my parents um, they're both Chinese. They met here in San Francisco. Um, my dad grew up partly in China and then Minnesota. So he is clearly a little bit more, I guess, Americanized for lack of a better term. And my mom came here when she was a teenager and they Mm. met at a restaurant. She was waiting tables and he was there eating in Chinatown. So kind of a romantic sort of story. Um, And Mm. then many years later, uh, you know, popped out a couple of kids. I am much further behind my siblings. So one of the things that I recently started to think about is my siblings have a very different relationship with my parents than I do. I know them in a completely different way. They were younger, trying to like, you know, 
work, buy a home, do all those things. When by the time I came around, they were much more established. So I started to actually feel a little bad for my brother and sister because they probably had to go through so much um, uh, with new parents. And mm-hmm. I didn't really interact with them as much as I thought. One of the things I was talking with my therapist literally yesterday was how I'm realizing I don't know them as well as I thought I did. And Mm -hmm. over the past several years, I started to find I don't really like my parents (laughs) that much. You can love people and not like them sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, they're parents. And so, you know, there's like the, there's the distinction that family, you don't have to like them, but they're still your family. But then with all this language about having chosen family kind of makes Mm. more of a separation there because my chosen family I'm more close to. My parents don't know what I do. They don't know much about me. I'm not even technically out to them. And, Mm. you know, I, I know like I'm a big promoter of Harvey Milk. Everyone should come out to their parents, but well, this is a little bit cultural. It's also a different time. Mm-hmm. They don't know any of these other things about me. Uh, I'm not sure if this is all that much different. And I don't really feel much guilt. But that's not to say I'm completely not out because they've helped me build my first dress for drag, for Doncha. Uh, my okay. mom bought mm-hmm. the thousand uh, thank you bags and saw exactly what I, what I made and knows that I dress up as a woman and go on stage. Mm-hmm. Yet she won't go to my show because she asked me, how long is it? I said three hours. She's like, no, it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like that out and not out binary that mm-hmm. I feel like. I mean, I'm out to my parents, but I totally understand why, if you're Asian, you wouldn't be. Maybe that's something of our generation, too. Yeah. Um, And and I tried to, like, figure out, is this, like, an Asian cultural thing or just my specific relationship? And I find it weird where I don't feel like I have to, whereas mm -hmm. there's always that that story of, like, even if, like, the, the kid was kicked out, but they wish they could come out to their parents and all these other things, I don't. I don't long for it. And I'm happy that I don't because mm-hmm. I would feel, I, I feel like I would be in a darker place. And like you said, the guilt, that's something I've been battling with because I don't like them. What do I feel guilty about? It, it's just it's a strange feeling. They, they, they built the guilt into us as we grew up. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, we grew up in this very American individualistic culture where white kids move out of their house at 18. The, the parents are almost kicking them out. And they don't have this relationship um, afterwards in some cases. And there's all those articles now of Zoomers who are cutting their parents off from them. And maybe that's not such a good bad idea. I don't know. <laughs> Even though you don't like your parents, Chris, you still visit them a lot. So there's something yes. there. Uh, and yeah, like I said, the, it's, it's the, that duality. It's, I don't like them. And my mom said something so rude. I went to go visit her on her birthday. And she said something so shitty. And I yelled at her. I was like, I'm not coming for Lunar New Year until you apologize. I lost that war and was over there on Lunar New Year's. Oh, and God. we just didn't talk about it. Um, 
And, you know, so it, that guilt, it's still there. And I'm, I've been trying to, like, learn how to balance it. When do I give up a stupid or because they're old, they're not going to change. And that's yeah. okay. They've gone through so much in a different time and had to raise my, like, annoying ass. So I should give this to them. Yeah, I, I feel that way about my parents and... And so a little bit about my, my parents, they're both Vietnamese refugees. Um, and they left Vietnam right after the war, um, mm-hmm. the American War, as I like to call it, not the Vietnam War, the American yes. War, um, and met here in the States. Um, they got married and then divorced. So they divorced when I was 18. Um, so obviously they got divorced five years ago. Hello. Um, oh, I, my mom's <laughs> quite recent. <laughs> yes. Cause you know, I'm 23. Um, my mom is in her early seventies. My dad is in his late seventies. I am out to both of them. I would say they both know I'm gay. My mom, I actually like intentionally explicitly came out to my dad. I just heard through my mom knows that I'm gay. And then like, oh, after a while, he's just like, it's, it's there and it's accepted, but we don't mm-hmm. like talk about it. That's the Asian think- way. It's the Asian way of my, with my dad. And he's, you know, again, a 77 year old Vietnamese man, immigrant. This for me feels like it's gone pretty far and I'm, and I'm sorry, but for me, the bar is kind of (laughs) low for, for him and he's exceeded it a lot. So I'm grateful for that. And I'd say my relationship to them is like, it comes in waves of like extreme closeness and extreme distance. And uh, I think we were close growing up, but I think something changed when I came out. Something changed when I moved to San Francisco. Something changed in me. Something changed in them. And I felt like um, it, it's always kind of waved in that direction of like extreme closeness or extreme distance. So now like when I moved to LA and during the pandemic, I got super close to my dad, but like felt really like distant from my mom. Then I felt distant from my mom for like quite a few years until I just visited her again. Now I feel super close with her because we spent some a lot of great quality time together and I think right now our relationship is in a period of transition in that like we all came out of the pandemic much older um my parents are thinking about their mortality a lot they're wondering about my future now that like I'm almost 40 Mm -hmm. and so I don't know how words to describe it except that it's in transition and it's quite uncomfortable and I'm kind of just like letting the process like trusting the process yeah, and I think that's something that has been also on my mind a lot, their mortality, because, you know, we're of that age where our parents are losing their friends. And I, I, I do look at my mom and see how so many of her friends have passed away, and she has to make new friends, but mm. in the middle of a lockdown. and um, And I think that's why... I spend so much more time thinking about my friends and trying to maintain and grow those relationships because I see it so as so important. And I, I totally feel that. Like I told you, my dad's two best friends died in the span of like the last two years, three years. But in between that, I felt like when I lived with him, so I lived with him for a couple of months during the pandemic he was going to a friend's funeral like every other week during the pandemic. Like when you think about how the pandemic impacted like my dad's age group, it's, it was actually really sad. And like the grieving process kept restarting every few weeks for them in thinking of their mortality. They have to think of us too. 
Yeah. And the time they, and I do think it made my dad a much softer person, to be honest. Did it make your mom a softer person? Uh, I feel like she got harder. Because mm. I, I think it's yeah. hard on her. And so she depends on us as her like support. And mm. we don't talk to her in the way that her friends would. Because mm-hmm. we were, we're all probably always badgering her to do something. Stop smoking. Do this. Do that. And that's not what what she's looking for. But uh, and so I try to keep that in mind. But I think she's taken it hard, but doesn't talk about it. Yeah. How about your dad? Oof, it's rough. He's in one of the reasons I think about my mortality a lot is because he had a stroke when I was very young and he's had multiple strokes since then. And he's now immobile and living in a skilled nursing facility. And so, and it all happened during lockdown. So you can only imagine how Mm. stressful that was finding a place. And he even had um, COVID and we basically all said bye to each other a couple of years ago because mm-hmm. he went to the emergency room and it was, he was feeling cold and he just started FaceTiming all of us. And so that was like a really rough time. But what was strange was in the moment, I wasn't feeling very emotional about it. It's one of those weird things I always have had. Why, did, why don't I feel sad? But I always feel sad later on. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm just good in crisis situations. And some people say that's a symptom of ADHD, just emotional like regulation and understanding of emotions just takes me a different amount of time. And also as him as a, as a guy, didn't have a lot of friends. And, I, and it sucks. He, or and what few he did, you know, they didn't stay in touch. And so it, I, I see that how so many parents where the men depend on their wives as their best friends. You look at it now, that's so unfair to, to, to all these wives. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Being um, the youngest child of like 10 years, I wasn't really taken care of by my parents as much. They were both working. Those are some of the things that I learned, you know, as I got older. This is what Chinese parents do. They don't say, I love you. Everyone knows that. They put food on the table and that's their 
version of I love you. And I get that. But I always felt very um, kind of out of place at home. And I used to fantasize that I was maybe an alien put on this planet in human form to learn about earth and and their culture or i thought i was adopted and so you know this is all before like 23 and me and stuff there were stories of like you know fake kids that i learned about um fake adoption papers or and stuff that my grandfather had to do so he could bring people in and like my dad has two birthdays because they like faked some stuff Uh, or it was just like messed up by all of the paperwork you know of the time and so I genuinely thought I'm somebody else's kid because they're nothing like me. And uh, clearly I'm their parents. I look like my mother. I got the same saggy cheeks and I got my dad's skin issues and, uh, and all of that. And what's funny is that recently, like everyone knows, because that's all I talk about now is that I think it's like a symptom of the ADHD, just feeling like an outsider and feeling mm-hmm. like I can't connect when other people who are uh, neurotypical are talking. And I think that's probably why I felt always on the outside. So, But it was funny because that symptom showed up as I'm totally not part of them. I'm not one of them. And I always wanted it. I actually sometimes still secretly fantasize that I was adopted or that so they don't have to like (laughs) care for them (laughs) well you know what this explains to me at least why you love stories about the outsider like Mm. hedwig um veneno and that you love sci-fi so much i'm just like when you're telling me you thought you were an alien to come i'm like you've been watching (laughs) girl watches so much third rock from the sun (laughs) totally remember that show i totally identified with that maybe that's why i do love sci-fi so much and all of those things the Wow, wow, you pinned it you pinned it on me before I even saw it. Hedwig, all of that. Maybe that's why you're also like out loud. Like your dra- mm-hmm. your drag isn't like trying to be fierce. <laughs> your, your drag isn't I'm gorgeous. I'm not the gorgeous one. <laughs> I'm not the gorgeous one. Let's just say your drag isn't gorgeous, but it's the loud, the comedy, the shock value, even the looks are always just something that you want to walk in a room and then and then everyone notices you. Um and I wonder if it was like, maybe because you felt so out of place at home. Or I just couldn't read other people's emotions and didn't know that I was freaking them out. <laughs> <laughs> you always freak people out in a good way. Um, yes. Aside from uh, the people who, to, who serve you lawsuits. Yeah. And then <laughs> freaking Shen Yun trying to sue us. <laughs> Some of the people who tried to sue you. Yeah, but only over the last several years, even before the diagnosis, I learned to embrace it. And I learned to embrace it because... All of my friends embraced it, and that was a. And I think that's why I feel so close to you and everyone else around us. Like y'all accepted me, and you know became my chosen family. Oh. Sticking to this theme of um, the complicated relationships with our parents, mm-hmm. uh, what's a what's like a complicated feeling that you have about your relationship to your parents that like you're always revisiting this? Like, what's that complicated feeling? it's always this back and forth of like, oh, I owe so much to my parents and I should be doing this, that the guilty son feeling. And then sometimes I'm like, 
Oh, no, I don't owe them anything. And because they treated me poorly in this situation, and I, it's, it's hard to, like, meld them together. Both can be true. They may not have treated me in a way that I wanted them to, but I can still also care for them and love them uh, because they're your parents and they still did a lot for me. It's, it's, you ca- I cannot write off mm-hmm. how much they did for me and my siblings. It was hard. We grew up not with a lot of money. They did what they needed to do to get us where I am now. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm doing relatively well in the world. That's the part I will seesaw with. What, 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 what do you go through with that? To your point, it could be both. Both can exist at the same time. This feeling of mm-hmm. like gratefulness and gratitude and also like, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> or you're so problematic and toxic. I don't even know where to begin. Try using those words to them. <laughs> I know. I know. I just, I mean, I saw this new like thing from New York Mag. They'd release this like whole issue, New York Magazine, on like the new rules. Like the new rules are about etiquette. And one of the one of it's around like tipping. And I think uh, we can agree, yes, when we go to a restaurant, we tip 20 to 25%. But then they had these, these other things in there, like at a coffee shop, 20%. When you do takeout, at least 15%. Okay, I don't know if I totally agree with it. But then I was just like imagining telling my parents this. <laughs> these are the new rules of tipping. And imagining just like my dad just like laughing in my face. Um, like, let's just be honest, Asian parents are freaking terrible at tipping. My mom has taken money off of the tip plate that I put there multiple yes. times yes. without me looking. Worse. And it's worse at when you're at an Asian restaurant. Oh, they're that's like, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Got to help the people because those owners, they're probably doing wage theft anyways. <laughs> they got, yeah, give them more money to, to launder. In terms of my kind of complicated feeling, I would say that I'm going to talk about physical abuse. So if that's something that you don't want to listen to or it's not helpful for you to listen to, you can stop listening right now and turn this off and we'll see you next week. My complicated feeling, let's just begin with like as a little kid in Vietnamese, they used to describe me as fa. So fa means like to break or mess up. Like that kid is so fa, like bao is so fa, which is basically meaning that I'm a super mischievous and boisterous kind of kid. And that's always breaking things. So like a, a handful. Dennis the Menace. Yes, Balviet the Menace. And my parents believed two things about, about me because I was so boisterous or mischievous. Is that one, that means I would grow up to be evil, like a gangster. Then the second one was smart. So it's like smart and like successful, which absolutely makes no sense. Um, but they were so afraid that I would be a gangster that they took to disciplining me like a lot and physically beating me so much like compared to my sister. And so I have a complicated feeling about this because at the same time, I understand that they came from a different culture. They come from a different culture. And this is what they were taught on how to discipline children. Um, But it's complicated to feel that because, um, I've used that excuse for so long to suppress just like my real pain or experience from that time. I think I used to remember that, oh, my parents, they did beat me. They did discipline me physically. It was probably like only two times a year. 
And I think in this last year, going to therapy and working on some some ideas that I have about myself, we touched upon this kind of landmine of like physical abuse. And I started to remember like, no, it was like probably two times a month. And we would be screaming. I would end up outside of the door. My sister would be so scared. And it was brutal. So like I can kind of like have chills just like thinking about it because like you know, the body remembers, right? And I used to just think all Asian families do this. So you're not alone. So it's just like it's part of your culture and white people are just never going to understand it. And it's just part of our culture. And we just kind of like swallow it and look at we, we did turn out to be successful or something. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that until I met like all these like Asian American children or people like my age was like, yeah, my parents never touched me, dude. <laughs> um, and I also just met a lot of Asian American kids who were like, yeah, my they treated the boys like this or they, they were abusive like this. And even sharing this, I feel kind of like shameful. Um, or like why, why shameful? I think Asian people listening to this, stop being so dramatic. Like uh, this is part of the Asian culture. That's all your parents knew. Don't be so hard on them. Um, but I think about it. I'm like, if I saw that behavior with my kind of friends, with their children now, I would be completely mortified. Um, see, uh, I guess I sort of see it as more generational because, you, you, you know, it was still wrong. When we think about it now, I, I, I think it was still wrong it happened and it happened across many cultures, even here. Like mm-hmm. my siblings had corporal punishment in school. Uh, I happened to be born 10 years later when it was, I guess, outlawed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would pin it just on it being cultural. It's just, yeah. and, and maybe just like, you know, them too, like their particular like relationship with you. Yeah. It's weird when you say that. Cause the other thing I picked up from my dad was his anger issues. And, you know, there was a time when he uh, nearly burned down our house uh, because he was so mad uh, at at us. And so I, I feel you on, like, the scary, scary, um, you know, abusive things that happened. But I just don't usually try to think about them very often. Yeah, I, I wasn't trying to think about it. We were talking about something else about, like, something sometimes i feel like i need to be hard in myself or i can't or else i'll turn out bad it's much more complicated of a narrative than that it took a while but that's like the simple sentence and by breaking that down i kind of remembered this i'm like oh but my parents only disciplined me like twice a year and then suddenly i started thinking about it and suddenly it all came back to me like no dude yeah. this was like twice a month and then like i just like sat there bawling Realizing and I, like like, I had to suppress all that. Yeah. Kind of pervasive through your mentality is like, as long as I've known you, you've been very hard on yourself just about everything. Like, got to be, do this, got to be the best at that. Almost like some control issues around it. And, yeah. but I also thought, oh, I kind of wish I had that to be able to, you know, become successful and all those things. I think I went the other way because I, I ran from those things. I tried not to be controlling. I just wanted to like hide and kind of, disappear yeah that's what my sister did she turned out to be the rebellious one um (laughs) (laughs) but it's funny i saw this like um this tiktok and someone it was a stitch like stitch this and tell me your life story in a sentence it's like oh the high (laughs) the high achieving child grows up to be a burned out and highly anxious homosexual (laughs) yeah 
It's, it's so common. Like, we all tried harder because we were queer. So we had to, like, show everyone up. And then we expended all our energy. And now, now look at us. We're just, like, trying to scrape by with, with little therapy appointments as often as possible. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you know what I also, uh, I've learned this, like, like, maybe 10 years ago that I heard that if you got physically abused or, like, disciplined physically a lot as a child, that you're into like rougher sex <laughs> as an adult. All right. Which also matches. <laughs> Once in a while, like I was like, I would have the thought in the bedroom, like, oh, just, so you're not going to ruin this for me too, parents. And oh so God. I just had to let go of the thought. But okay, so that's like, like my complicated feeling. It just feels obviously still really messy to me and something I'm just, you know, trying to, trying to entangle a lot. Wow. I, 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 this is a little bit of a cop out. I feel like my response, like of you having it, like brought up, like I think I have a complicated feeling, like the anger issues of mm-hmm. both my parents, and it sucks because I like will have friends who are so. It makes me so jealous. Who had like such like loving relationships with their yes. families are so well adjusted, and I went to a wedding uh, of a cousin like this past year or two. And my aunts and uncles on my dad's side are uh, stayed in Minnesota. They have um, white husbands. And so the family is more what most people would say is Americanized. And they're playing board games. They're <laughs> laughing with each other, telling jokes. They know like funny things about each other. I'm like, oh my god, is this what I could have had? And I, and I hate that's a complicated feeling where I want what they had, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to discount what my parents did for me. They mm-hmm. my, also my dad is the oldest out of all of them, so he had a different relationship with his family and came to the U.S. um, uh, at a much older age. So he just has a different understanding of the world. So it really, sometimes when I see like friends who had great relationships, oh yeah, a little jealous, but seeing how close it could have been was, it was very uh, surreal to me in a way. You know, like I have a bit of, jealousy with some of my straight friends it's a reason for like the the their parents to reconnect and for them to get to know their parents in a different way they, there's like a natural like transition point in life for them to like transition their relationship to something different and focus on maybe mm-hmm. a grandchild and for me I, I don't know it's just it's you know when you meet all these people like my, my my dad is my best friend my mom is my best friend i call I call her every other day i text her everything about everything Oh, I also, that yeah, sounds I, awful. It sounds awful. What do you talk about? <laughs> it's funny that we're we've spent like like almost forty or forty years ish of our lives with them, and then we're still longing for that. <laughs> yeah, that have a connection that we're frankly never had, and like probably never will. I the way I've like found myself like tackling some, that like particular thing about kids is that there are plenty of straight people who aren't having kids. And I think they, I think there's that similar feeling. Like Mm -hmm. I don't always want to pin it on my queerness. I just pin it on, I'm just bad at relationships. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's still my issue, but not Mm -hmm. a queer issue. I don't want to make this a, a 
a whole like one of those gay or Asian podcasts where we just spend the whole entire time dissing our parents. Even though like, I think we've spent some good time talking about the most new of ones. it dissing our parents, and we most have plenty of future our... ones to diss our parents. <laughs> yeah, they're always going to come up. Which is, <laughs> and we spend plenty of time in our therapy sessions with our therapists dissing our parents. But I do want to get like get into some of the things that we appreciate. So, what do you appreciate the most about your parents? They put up with me. <laughs> they really, as the <laughs> as the louder, as they say, black sheep of the family. They really put up with me, and uh, and also because my siblings were much older than me, they kind of were done with parenting in a way. That's how I thought about it in my head. In high school, when I was coming out, I was staying out till past midnight when I was 15, 16 years old, hanging out with my new queer friends that they didn't know. And they did not question it. And I found it very surprising, but very welcome. I don't know if it's necessarily something they did, but they were too exhausted to do anything about. Like my sister brought me up. She went to my parent-teacher meeting. She signed all the forms. You know, I wasn't a bad kid. I just happened to need my friendships outside of high school where I eventually came out. But my friends were all the queer friends I met at like the queer youth groups. And so I'm happy that they kind of left me alone because uh, I know that they were very hard on my brother and sister. I definitely found my sister's diary one day and read about how hard it was. Oh. She doesn't like when know you that were, you... until she listens to this. But <laughs> I read her diary. I know what she did. And, when you were younger? Um, or when you were younger, you read her diary or recently? Mm-hmm. I was. I went through her room and I found a book with a little lock on it. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. So obvious. This is gold. <laughs> People need to, need, to, need, to, need to literally just unlock my phone and just go to my notes app and it's all there. <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, am I really di- like writing a diary or am I just writing things down in case I go missing? <laughs> they find the phone and <laughs> figure out what happened. And when they do a documentary on me, I like, can get someone to read it. As for me, what I appreciate most about my parents, their journey about me being out to them, I am just in awe of just how they've progressed. Again, the, for my dad, the bar was pretty low. Um, we didn't talk for several years, actually, in our tw- in my 20s. But I do think when I moved back in with him during the pandemic, um, just for some company, um, we really got to rebuild our relationship. So I'm super grateful of that. Um, my mom, I think she was accepting kind of to my face when I came out to her when I was 19. But I found out later she was distraught by it because she's blamed herself. That she... You know, at that time, she didn't know much about the queer community, so she thought she did something wrong, that she raised me in some way wrong. And she thought that, and it was a different time in the mid-2000s, that being gay was a kiss of death. Mm -hmm. That it was dangerous for me outside in the world um, because of all these other things or because of what people would think of me. And, you know, fast forward to um, this something that happened when I was in Asia, um... She took me to this like dinner with her, like she's in a band and they're so cute. They're like all like 70. Um, and the literal translation of the band is like just waiting to die, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> anyway, they're like the coolest 80 year olds ever, like chain smoking and playing guitars. And they were like renowned like musicians. And then one of the bandmates called my mom after is like, hey, I have a single daughter. 
um, would your son want to meet her, be interested in meeting her? And then she just tells him, you know what, he's, in, there's this new term I realize for LGBT or queer. It's something like with the number three in it. I, I won't butcher it, but she used that term. I had to look it up. And she was saying, this is my, not my life. It's his. I want him to be happy. It's not something that's my fault. It's what he was born with. And this is what's going to make him happy. So you're my close friend. And whenever anyone asks, I'll just tell you the truth. But that's the truth. And I, I love my son, but I don't think he's going to like be interested in your daughter that way. And just hearing that from her was just meant a lot. That's crazy. That's great. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, she didn't tell me to my face. She was telling someone on the phone right next to me. I'm like, this is her way of kind of mm-hmm. telling me in a way. But then she used to use these two kind of terms. I think if you're Vietnamese American, you know the term bidet, which is also like, that's how you, they, they used to call gay people. I don't know why. Uh-huh. And then my mom used to use he be, like he's afflicted or like he's sick with it. Yeah. I, yeah. I felt like a lot of the troubles is like there was no language around it. And I remember there was this one video from like the queer Asian days called There's No Name for This. Uh, mm-hmm. that you know interviewed all these people because there was no positive or neutral term. There's like this Cantonese term that's awful, something like too low fall, people who jump off of the roof. Oh, that's terrible. Like, oh. so, so there's, I think as just time passed and people learned new words and just like the world changed, it made it easier. And I'm happy about that. And I'm glad that worked out for your mom in that sense, to not have a negative word, to to have like a, I guess, a positive phrase to use to describe it. And I think that's new. And that's probably only something she would know living in Vietnam. I think Mm -hmm. the term like loosely translates to non-binary or queer. And and how we understand is queer, but not the word queer, right? It's like, it's basically like third level, like a third level. So it's not like, a binary, like a third level. And so oh. I appreciate that that exists in Vietnam. Um, and I really appreciate like my 71-year-old mom like knew, knew how to use it. Both our parents are getting older. What are you most scared of for them? What I'm most scared of is that they'll both feel alone when they die. Sorry, I'm going there. Oh, um, I hear you. Yeah. Because my parents are divorced. My dad has a girlfriend, yeah. My mom's all the way in Vietnam. I can't guarantee I'm going to be there. Thinking about not being able to control that, like my family on one city and in case in the future something happens, I can count on myself being there. I have this deep fear and I have to have a dream about it a lot. Like... And probably driven by my guilt of like, I'm not being a good enough son. And that like, when it matters in that like last breath, I'm not going to be a good son. And they're going to think that. You're going to be disappointed in something. I don't think that's a healthy thing for me to think. So mm-hmm. I'll say that. I'm going to work. I'm trying to work through it. Um, but that if you're asking me like to be real about what I'm most scared of, it, it's that. Like they live just such hard lives. They've been through war. They've seen so much death during the war and then they re-experience a bunch of death during the pandemic and being re-traumatized by it. It just, I just hope that at this age they found, you know, they, they're starting to find peace and that like, it'll, it'll be peaceful for them when, when the day they leave us. And I, I think I do probably think about that too much. 
about their eventual death. I don't think my, I think my sister is more like, let's not think about any of that. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. again, she's a firefighter. She sees a lot of this, but I do, I do kind of revisit this, this, this topic or this idea quite often every week. So I think it's just the nature of just how, how old they're getting and um, how much they are, they themselves are talking about their own deaths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I have a similar situation where I didn't move away actually, and one of it's one of the things that I wish I had done, and one of the reasons was that I thought I needed to be there for them, and I go back and forth thinking, oh God, why didn't I do this? Why wasn't I more selfish? They were fine for the past like you know like ten, fifteen years, but. I think having so many health problems in our family, it made me think that it was going to be a lot worse earlier on. And that's why I think I'm always thinking about my mortality because those health issues are coming through to me and my genes. And I think one of the reasons that I started partying so hard with y'all like a decade ago was, well, if I have to stick around, let's just make it fun. This, this is my way of disconnecting from it. And not the only thing. It was also genuinely fun. I wasn't fully escaping something. Mm-hmm. And so I think about where they're at. And it's kind of like, not about them being alone, but they're, they're having not like a, a great golden years. It's, it's, it, I, I think I worry about suffering because it's a lot of pain my dad is not mobile he can't take care of himself when that was like his biggest thing that he could take care of himself and Mm -hmm. he was very independent and i know that when he wasn't able to drive anymore that was like a hit um Mm -hmm. and i think he's depressed and i think that's what i'm scared of most that they're depressed in their older age and I don't really think there's anything I can do about it. Like as much as I can be there, that's not going to solve it because we drive each other crazy. Me being physically there isn't actually making things that much better. Maybe a tiny bit spending time, but they're not going to improve their mental health or happiness by very much anytime soon. What are we going to do? Find them like, a therapist who speaks that language, who understands what they're going through and who can actually get them to be vulnerable and tell their feelings to a, yeah. not a family member. And sometimes I give up on that. But then a mom, uh, a social worker called my mom and she said that uh, she talked to them like about her problems and she felt a little bit better. So it was like a little therapy thing. Like that's mm-hmm. sometimes those little tinges of things make me hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I had started looking for a Cantonese speaking psychiatrist because I know that my mom's anxiety is because she has undiagnosed ADHD. I mm-hmm. am not a licensed psychiatrist, but she has it. <laughs> And I think it definitely has made life harder for her, but she won't have the language to speak about it. So those are some of the little things I try to do because I'm so scared of her having an unhappy older age. I still keep trying to fix her, which may or may not work out in the end, but I guess I'll still keep trying. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're kind of in that same boat again, um, that we seem to always end up of like, I think when you get, when you see your parents at this age and, you know, our, in, in certain ways, our parents are separated um, from each other and mm-hmm. they own, you know, we're kind of the last, last like, <laughs> we're the, the one last line they have to family, close family, but they've also lived through life of trauma. They kind of don't know what to do with their time. They don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know what to do with their thoughts. Um, and sometimes I just say like maybe showing up is enough. So I think as I, I personally believe that, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do have the same questions you have. What, what, it, it, what's, what's something's changing right now. Something's transitioning right now. I don't know what it is, but I kind of want to start figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, doing the same that they did for us in that sort of Asian way, don't need to say, I love you. Just put some food on the table. So showing mm-hmm. up, d- buy, get their lift somewhere, just make sure that they can get through their day. That may be just enough. That's what yeah. they, they do instead of saying, I love you. Yeah. Bring them food, but food that they would find delicious and cheap. <laughs> Yes. Even if you bring them exactly. nice food, they're going to be, how much did that cost you? That's terrible. That's so expensive. This tastes terrible for how, like, you know, so just save your own sanity by oh. bringing them the food they like. I've, I've tried the thing where I try to bring them, like, the nice food or bring them to the nice restaurant. But nope. no, it doesn't work. So I did the mistake of bringing my dad to freaking Slanted Door in San Francisco. He oh. did not think there was a bigger crime committed to the Vietnamese people, and he's been through two wars. <laughs> so. I agree with him. Slant a door. $14 by me? That is bullshit. I, yeah, I can't. I can't. Um, I can't have that, but I can definitely have a drink after this conversation. Girl, um, we're both going to need it. We're both going to need it. But you know what? I, I really appreciate this time with you because, again, I've known you for over a decade. Just to hear you just explain just everything that you've been feeling. Um, everything your parents are going through and how similar it is to mine. Like, I'm just really super grateful for that. Yeah. It goes back to what I was saying earlier, that hearing someone else talk about theirs, even though you might generally know, like getting down to those specifics, uh, they were both surprising and I felt very connected to them. And I just hope that other people do too. uh, Because how often do we just bring that up in conversation when we're out. It's like, that's the downer conversation, but I'm glad we yeah. did talk about it today. Yeah. And then, you know, if any of y'all have thoughts on this topic, again, DM us, kind of share with us uh, what you're thinking or, um, you know, again, I, I want to check our privilege. We have two parents who are there for most of our lives and are still alive. And I know a lot of people have gr- grieved the loss of their own parents. And so I let, know that we totally recognize that privilege. I mean, with that, we're going to wrap it up. As always, you can follow us at Literally Gaysians on Instagram and TikTok. So the TikTok's new. Um, and me on Insta at Bow Bow Bowser. Where, they can they, where can they follow you, Chris? Find me on the Insta at meetmesouthofmarket.gif with a soft G. And... Um, come back for our next episode, another episode with another guest, another special friend. Um, so look out for that in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everyone. Till next time. Bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 